God, we declare that we need you. God, you are good. You are gracious. You are faithful. And, Father, we are fully dependent on you. God, we give you praise for your ultimate sacrifice in giving your son, Jesus, to redeem us, to restore us, to adopt us as sons and daughters within your kingdom. And so, Father, we say thank you, and we render this prayer in gratitude. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Can we give God praise just one more time this morning? Well, listen, it's such a delight to be in your company, and thank you for the hospitality that you've extended. I mean, so many friends that I see in the midst here at Glenkirk, and this has really just made my, made my Sunday. I would like to let all of you know who, are, who brave the storm, and you're here in this space, that you got an extra big mansion in heaven. I'm serious. I mean, I think I read it in Revelations, but, but you are due to be commended uh, for, for being present. And, and for those of, those of you who are joining us virtually, you have your mansion. It's not as big as ours, but you got a mansion. No, we thank you for joining us as well and being a part of our worship time. Um, I, I would like to introduce my wife to everybody. My wife to my left, Lawanda, she joined me this morning. And uh, thank you for extending grace to her. LaWanda and I, we've been married. It'll be 24 years in October. And uh, isn't that great? 24 years. I don't see how, man, 24 years. God has been good. I actually met her in graduate school in Tennessee. And I wish I had pure intentions. I mean, when I saw her and how good looking she was and there was an empty desk behind her, that was my spot. And God rested his favor on me. Uh, 24 years later, and, uh, and it's been such a joy. And uh, baby, thank you for, for being here, for being here with me. Uh, also want to just extend ex incredible gratitude to this church. Uh, just the, the breadth of your ministry, the impact that you've had in this Glendora, Azusa area. Uh, I, I so appreciate the, the, the announcement that Tim made. Uh, your um, perceptiveness and intention in serving not just people locally, but neighbors that are afar. And so our colleagues and friends and neighbors who are in Hawaii, uh, who are enduring the hardship uh, that's tied to the wildfires for this church to say, hey, we're going to make, we're going to find a way to contribute and be a part of the solution and supporting those families who are grappling with the aftermath of, uh, of that experience, you are due to be commended. So, so God bless you for, for that. Uh, real quickly, too, look, I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge your senior pastor, a good friend. So grateful for Tim and Cindy Peck. And can we just, just praise the Lord for the pastoral team that's here at Glenkirk? You know what? I'm, I'm a son of a pastor. I pastored full-time for a little while. Um, and, and oftentimes people romanticize the, the role. It is a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's, it's meaningful, sacred work, and it's a, it's, it's a gift uh, to be able to serve in that capacity. And Tim and Cindy, they do it with grace. Uh, but I always, when I have an opportunity and I have a mic, I always try to urge bodies to really appreciate uh, the work of pastors because they have a heart for God, but they also have an affinity for the flock. So can we really give them just a huge round of applause for their service and their work? God bless you. 
All right, you know I'm an African-American pastor. I got to get through like three minutes of acknowledgement, so you got to bear with me. So listen, the last thing I want to share, and I need you to be praying with me and with our community about um, this year is a really special year for APU. Uh, we're celebrating our 125th uh, anniversary, uh, dating back to 1899, and it obviously started with the leadership of Mary Hill and so many others who support it. Uh, this week, during faculty staff kickoff on Wednesday, our newer president, uh, uh, Dr. Adam Morris, will be sharing the institution's vision. And I know in this space, we have a lot of people who have blessed APU as a university. Uh, you have been prayerfully engaged with our community. And so I just want to ask that you also continue to pray, especially this week, uh, as we... Um, have this milestone moment together as a university community. You'll definitely hear more about it. And then also, it's nothing like welcoming students back to campus. It's been too quiet on campus. And for those of us who love students and love young people who have a heart for the Lord, I love hearing those skateboards and laughter and, and seeing students eat burritos. I like everything about the student experience. And so we can't wait to welcome them back this week as well. But can you be praying with us for this week? Can I get an amen from the congregation? Thank you so much for that. We appreciate it. Well, look, I don't know about you, but I love the summer. Um, particularly summers without tropical storms. Uh, but, but I love the summer. I mean, it gives us, you know, extra quality time, typically with family, with friends. Uh, we have the opportunity to kind of frequent the beach and, you know, enjoy the beautiful landscape of Southern California, uh, of, you know, other spaces across the nation and around the globe. Um, but I have to be very honest with uh, with all of you, one of the reasons why I like the summer too is because I like going to the movies. And some of the best movies of the year, they hit the screen during the summer. And uh, I, I don't know how many of you can relate to this, but I am a huge like action movie watcher. Any, any action movie people like Marvel and Fast and Furious 38, like I, I love it. I mean, cars flying around in space, you know, heading to the moon. Probably one of my favorite action series, though, is Mission Impossible. And uh, I'm a huge Denzel Washington fan, but I'm also a huge Tom Cruise fan. And, uh, and so many of you know that his last iteration of, of Mission Impossible actually came out this summer. And uh, I think the title of it is Dead Reckoning, if I'm not mistaken. And, uh, you know, Ethan Hunt, that's the character that Tom Cruise plays. No matter what the challenge, you know, Ethan portrays this relentless commitment coupled with ingenuity and passion to fulfill the mission. No matter how daunting it is, you know, by the end of the movie, Ethan and his team will find a way. And for some reason, there's always a countdown at the end of the movies. Like, there's 10 seconds. You know, he has to save the world, come up with a solution, you know, with a toothpick with, with, with in, 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 in 10 seconds. Um, one other reason why I like Tom Cruise, you know, he is not a fan of stunt doubles. And so Tom always likes to perform his own stunts. And one major centerpiece in this last movie is this, this substantive jump while he's on a motorcycle off the cliff of a mountain. And he parachutes to the bottom of the, of the, of the, 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 the enclave. And uh, I was doing some research. I think he actually had 
13,000 reps where he actually went through this process over and over again, jumping out of helicopters, jumping from a motorcycle, releasing it the right way to ensure that his body didn't get caught up in it, parachuting down to the bottom. Now, I like watching it, and I like dreaming about it, but I don't think I'll ever do it. You know, it's pretty audacious of a task and a stunt to do that, but he's willing to do it. Uh, and I think most of you would, would relate to that. But, but I, what I like about that character, again, he is willing to fulfill the mission. And as believers, we have an audacious mission that's ahead of us and before us. Uh, it's reflected in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Paul, he writes this letter to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and he shares ways that we as disciples of Christ, we can embody this mission, ways that we can be expressions of love and light. He says, you yourselves are our letter. In the King James Version, it says, you are living epistles written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. This morning, I want to briefly uh, speak from the topic, Mission Possible the thrill of employing actionable faith. And I would love for us to revisit a, a parable uh, that's quite familiar for most of us. I mean, for those who have been in the church for some time, you're, you're definitely, um, you've read it multiple times uh, over the years. Uh, typically, it, it, um, it, 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 it sits under the, the, the title, The Good Samaritan. And so I want us to revisit that and see what types of truths and new insights that we can gather from the passage in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through, through 37. And so let me, let me start by reading uh, 25 through 29 just to give context. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your, come on, help me, with all your, and with all your, and with all your, and then read this last part, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right? That's a legitimate question. Jesus, the, the strategic rabbi that we know him as, know him as uh, and we see throughout Scripture, Jesus just doesn't provide a simple response. Jesus responds with a parable. That's not language that we use in everyday uh, vernacular. The parable is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. And so Jesus replies in verse number 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho 
when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. Luke chapter 10, verse 30. We don't know much about this man other than he's a man and he's been victimized. We don't know his familial connections. We don't know if he's educated. We don't even know why he's on this road that lies between Jerusalem and Jericho. The only thing that we know is that he's been attacked, he's been stripped, he's been beaten, and he's laying there half dead in need of aid and support. Verse 31, we see the first person who enters the story. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so the first thing that I would like to put on your radar, for those who are taking notes, you can jot this down. What we appreciate about the religious leader who first uh, came to this battered man is that he was cognizant, right, but unwilling to engage. He was cognizant. At first, you know, past, we would believe that the religious leader who studies and teaches the law and understands the, the breadth of the love and the mercy of God would immediately engage, but he didn't. Uh, but before we become too critical of the priest, again, we want to acknowledge that he actually sees this victimized man. And let's face it, there are many within our current society who aren't even cognizant or conscious of the plight of those who are experiencing hardship, of those who are impoverished, those who have fallen on hard times, individuals who we would consider to be disenfranchised. So it really stresses the value of being spiritually perceptive and intentional about seeing those who are in need. And the priest, he had that vision but again, he does not engage. And actually, we see a response that we're a bit baffled by, considering that this is a man who understands the heart of God. Not only does he see the man, but he crosses over to the other side. He distances himself from the man who is in crisis. And we know, just from looking at Scripture, and just from our personal walk, that it's almost impossible to help a person in need if you're not proximate with that person. One of the reasons why we declare Jesus as our Savior is because Jesus is not only the Christos or Christ, but he is Emmanuel. We sing about it all the time, particularly in an amplified manner during Christmas. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus, the Lord of Lords, a part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, he exits the courts of heaven, born from the Virgin Mary, taking on flesh like you and I, being proximate with the human condition, and paying the ultimate price on the cross so that we could be redeemed back to the Father. My friends, that is Emmanuel. We should give God praise for that. That's a good place to give God praise. Thank the Lord for his sacrifice in his son. 
the blood that redeems us. The bottom line is that Jesus was not only cognizant, but he was willing to engage unlike the priest. The second character that we see in the parable is in verse number 32. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. And so the Levite is not only cognizant, but he is also curious. But again, the Levite is unwilling to engage. Uh, to understand the history and the context, most of us know that Levites, they stem from the, the heritage and lineage that goes all the way back to Aaron, the brother of Moses. These were men who operated and served within the temple. It was their responsibility to steward the primacy of the Lord, to make sure that as the children of Israel made decisions and as they moved, that they always kept God forefront and at the center. So we commend the Levite. Why? Because he's cognizant. But secondly, he actually went to the space and the place where this battered man was located. He investigated. He was curious. But we understand that consciousness and curiosity doesn't necessarily translate to change circumstances. It requires action. Now, when we evaluate the parable that Jesus shares, rationale is not provided on why the priests nor the Levite did not engage. And at the risk of being speculative, perhaps, you know, they were too busy. Perhaps they were running late for a meeting at the temple. Maybe they were afraid to engage. Perhaps they felt ill-equipped to be able to help the man considering the circumstances. We just don't know. The bottom line is that we know that they were not convic convicted enough to, to engage. The third sample that, that Jesus shares is a person who's designated as a Samaritan. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So this third character in Jesus' parable, he takes a different approach than the religious leader and the Levite. He's not just cognizant. He's not curious. He's actually countercultural. He springs into action from a place, of, a place of compassion. But who is this guy? We don't know his name. All we know is he's like the protagonist in Jesus' parable. We don't know where he's from. We don't know his family connections. We don't know his educational background. We don't know his political orientation. The only two things that we know about this Samaritan, according to Jesus' story, is it's a guy, it's a man, and two, he is a Samaritan, meaning that he is bi-ethnic. 
we know that the Samaritans were despised by those who were Hebraic or those of Jewish descent. And those who were Samaritans, they were part Gentile, but also part Jew. And they were despised, and that's the exact person who Jesus identifies as the individual who comes to this man in crisis to his aid. And so a couple of things that we've got to note about this, this Samaritan man, and I want to dissect that last verse um, just for our consideration. It says, when he saw him, he took pity on him. The Samaritan is compassionate. In a society like today, where we see angst, when we see cancel culture, where we see people more comfortable with articulating criticism as opposed to statements of love, and nothing wrong with criticism, but in a world that has become so toxic, and certain spaces have become so dark. It's so refreshing to see and to be reminded that as disciples, we are called to be agents of light. That when we see those who demonstrate symptoms that reflect an absence of relationship with the Lord, that it doesn't prompt in us a spirit of judgment, but it prompts within us compassion and a commitment to consider how we can make a difference in the lives of those individuals. And these are not just people that we see on television. I mean, we have individuals in our family. They may not be physically battered. They may not be physically broken, but emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, they have scars. And God wants to use each and every one of us to come to their aid, but not from a space of curiosity, but from a space of compassion. If we read on in that same verse, it says, the Samaritan went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Not only was the Samaritan compassionate, he was also resourceful. He took what he had in his possession and he used it to elevate the health and the care of this, of this battered man. Some theologians even argue that the oil and the wine were ingredients from the Samaritan's lunch. And he repurposed those ingredients to become almost a medical kit to serve the man who had fallen on difficult, difficult times. We also learned that he put this man in his Tesla, excuse me, on his donkey. Right, brought him to the Holiday Inn, took care of him. Right, so he's sacrificial, but and he's also selfless. So he's taken the the only ride that he has, the saddle just for one, and he places the man who doesn't have the strength to walk, who's half dead, on that ride, and he guides the horse up to the inn. He takes funding from his own account. Two denarii was a lot of money back then. And he pays for the stay, 
but also for the sustained care of the innkeeper. Now, I really get excited about this part of the verse that I think sometimes all the years that I used to read this passage, I overlooked. And some of you may have too. The more and more I read about that segment of the verse, you see this beautiful partnership between this Samaritan man and the innkeeper. I think sometimes we got to accept that we have limitations, that sometimes God will call us to step into a crisis situation to support a family member, to support a neighbor, to support a friend to a certain point. But sometimes we have to be skillful and tactful and nuanced in cultivating partnerships with others who can take the person to the next level. And sometimes that's a delicate handoff to a pastor. Sometimes that's a delicate handoff to a, to a therapist or a psychologist with a, a Christian orientation that can continue to build the well-being and the health of that person. But the more and more I read it, my friends, I think of the church, the ecclesia, the called out body of believers. That this campaign wasn't just restricted to one person, but he solicited the support from somebody else to continue the care for this person who was in, was in need. And to me, that's the church. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's at the center of our calling. It's reflected even in the mission of this church here at Glenkirk, your love for God and his world. I love that. And I know you'll continue to amplify that in your in your day-to-day, in your day-to-day work and service here. Now I will say this: most of us, when we read this uh, this story of the Good Samaritan, if you're like me, you know I quickly dismiss um, the the religious leader, the priest. I quickly dismiss and you know the Levite. And if there's any character in the parable, in the story that I relate to, it's the Good Samaritan. Anybody feel that way too? Like, I learn from the Good Samaritan. I want to, any, any hands in the, in the audience? I want to be, be the person who comes to a person's aid when they're in need. I see a lot of hands. That's perfect. Most of us, we can relate to that. And I think we glean lessons and encouragement and inspiration in terms of how that Samaritan responded. But the truth of the matter is this, if we're really honest and if we evaluate, the character that's probably more fitting for most of us is the battered man. At some point, all of us, we experience some form of despair, despondency, we experience pain, At some point, we were far away from God. There was a point when we made decisions that didn't honor him. There was a time when we were not loving. There was a time when we were judgmental. There were times when we were rude. There was a time when our hearts were calloused. There were times when we were not lovers of God's word. There were times that we were just outright mean. There were times when we were selfish. And we came face to face 
with Jesus Christ, and our lives were transformed. The truth of the matter is, the Samaritan in the story really reflects the way that Jesus engaged all of us when we were down and out, when we were stripped, when we were forsaken, when we didn't even love ourselves, when we didn't even know who we were. For some in this space, we didn't even have the strength to live. We didn't even have the desire to live another day. And it was Jesus that invaded our hearts, and he gave us hope, and he redeemed us, and he patched us, and he used his saving grace and his blood to redeem us. And my friends, that's the reason why we're here. That's the reason why we offer praise. That's the reason why in our different walks of life, no matter where God has positioned us, we will be light because we know what it's like to live in a space of darkness. But thanks be to God for his grace that saved us, that redeemed us, and positioned us in a new place where we can live with joy, where we live with hope, where we can be patient, and we can declare that we are a royal priesthood called to carry out the mission that only God can give. Can I get an amen from the congregation? That is who we are. That is who we are. Last thing I want to share. You've been very gracious to listen. You know, uh, for those of you who have been following Mission Impossible for a long time, you know, um, even before Tom Cruise, there was a brand of Mission Impossible that was present. And I used to watch it when I was a kid. Any of you used to watch Mission Impossible back in the day? And um, I think most of us, we romanticize and we're enamored with all of the action, right? No doubt about it. Even with the current franchise, I love the jumping from trains and the fight scenes and, you know, the, the, the saving the day, the, the riding of, of motorcycles, the chasing, chasing and running down the streets. I, I, I love every part. Of it. I'm, I'm down for it. But probably what's most significant about the Mission Impossible experience, typically there's always a proposition. Back in the day, the, the former franchise, there used to be this tape recorder that the agent had to listen to. And they had to make a decision to either accept or decline the mission. And once the recording played, you remember it used to explode? Y'all remember that? And you see all the smoke coming up from the device. And the truth of the matter is this for all of us. I know there's a lot of things that's going on. There's a lot of activity that we can talk to. But what's probably most significant for our consideration today is, is not what we're going to do. What's most important is our willingness to take on the mission. Is saying yes. And there's a lot of people who are talented. There's a lot of people with incredible influence. There's a lot of people with resource. But what God wants the most is our substantive, defined yes. I'm in. 
all the way in and carrying out the mission that you've called me to do. Do I have some people in this space here at Glenkirk that, that can declare I'm in? Can I just see a show of hands? If you're in with the Lord and I'm, I'm carrying out the mission, I may not be perfect at it. Come on, keep your hands up high. Don't be afraid. I'm not, I may not be perfect at it. Sometimes it's tough. Like even right now, I don't even want to raise my hand, but I know I need to raise my hand because I'm serious about them. Can we give God praise that we're all in as a, as a body? That's fantastic. God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for, man, reminding us that you want to use us to carry out your good work. God, thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your church, to carry out the, the mission that builds your kingdom. God, we pray that you will reveal to us as we start this week those who are within our path who are in need, those who need encouragement, those who need a word from you, those who need our prayerful engagement. God, please allow your spirit to reveal those individuals this week so that we can be instruments of your service in carrying out your work and being light to them. God, please challenge us to use what you've deposited within us, influence, leadership, resource, to be a blessing to others. And Father, when we do it, we want you to know we're not doing it for our own ambition, but we're doing it for your glory. And we know that you're worthy of it. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.